was that I might know him was the title of that Bible study. If you didn't hear that, I'm going to ask you to listen to it. Um, If you did hear it, I'm going to ask you to go back and listen to it again. And maybe listen to it another time or two till you kind of start getting your head around what we what we teach here. We teach holiness here. We teach holiness here. But we teach it different than what 90% of you have ever heard before in your life. It's a different presentation. And that's what I want you to get your head around. So you're, so you're not judgmental. And I don't want anyone to think here tonight that just because you're dressed right, you're saved. We need to understand that there's more to this message than that. Now, I understand we've had a daily, uh, we, we, we've had a consistent diet. A number of us have for years that says if you do this, 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 and this, you're saved. That's it, man. Holiness is not a destination. It's a journey. And it's something you do every day. So I'm asking you tonight with all of my heart to allow God to change the way you think about this subject. I'm going to be honest with you tonight. When I taught that I might know him several Wednesday nights ago, that was the first time I've come to this pulpit anxious to teach that kind of a lesson. I was excited about doing it. When I've taught holiness in the past to our church, there's been just a little bit of drudgery because most people have rejected it through the years because they have been offended or did not understand the presentation of it. And I believe tonight, with all of my heart, and I've, I've taught this material for, for a number of years here at Grace Church, and, and the response to it has been overwhelming. But after a while, when you don't hear it, and I have no plans of coming to this pulpit and ramming holiness uh, down everybody's throat, if you'll excuse the, the harsh expression, I'm not going to do that every time we're here. I want to teach it, let you think about it, let you get your head around it, and let it change the way you think so you don't revert back to some old way that you heard 40 years ago that, in my opinion, is not appropriate, it's not proper, it's not biblical. And so you can enjoy your relationship with God, and you can enjoy the lifestyle you live that's a sacrifice to the Lord. So please hear what I'm saying and um, do your best. I'm asking you tonight with all of my heart to do your best to get your head around what we're teaching and if you weren't here for the two Wednesday nights I just referenced then uh, please go watch the the material Uh, and if you were here watch it again watch it two or three times and get your head around it and tonight is going to be real important as well our basis for this material is in Hebrews 12 14 where the Bible said to follow peace with all men The fruit of the Spirit that the Bible teaches, large in part, has to do with our relationship with one another. When you embrace the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talked about in Galatians 3, it has to do with our relationship with each other for the most part. But when you talk about holiness, that really don't have anything to do with your fellow man. Holiness has everything to do with your relationship with God. So the Bible said to follow peace with all men. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. And tonight I hope to, um, the material that I'm going to present to you tonight, I hope will be a little more, uh, will help you understand just a little bit more. So let's begin tonight, biblical principles of holiness. I want to ask the question tonight, 
What is holiness? What is it? What is holiness? First of all, God is absolutely pure. God is absolutely perfect. And God is absolutely holy. So if God is that way, if God is holy, how can we be holy? Listen to pastor tonight and get your head around what I'm about to say. Anybody and everybody, anybody and everybody, from angels to saints, have derived their holiness from God. If anybody can be put in the bracket of holy, you got that from God. Period. We're born in sin. So any holiness that's manifested in our life comes from God. God is the only living being who is holy by nature. God didn't have to change to get holy. God wasn't a sinner God one day and he repented and got filled up with the spirit of another God and he became holy. God began holy. The whole essence of God is holy. God is holy by nature. No one else is. And all holiness comes from God. I'm saying this to say tonight that the way you dress doesn't make you holy. We have to understand that. If there's anything holy about us, it comes from God and it manifests itself in us. It's not something you do. Holiness is not created by your lifestyle. Holiness is created in us by God. So holiness is conforming to the nature, the character, and the will of God. Holiness is conforming to the nature and character and will of God. As we become more Christ-like, as we become more Christ-like, we are becoming more holy. Or that's what the Bible teaches. <clears throat> There's two words that I want to introduce to you tonight that I want you to get your head around this. This will help you understand holiness, and it makes it easy to live. There's people here tonight that fight with it. You do it, but you don't like it. You do it, but you don't understand it. And I'm trying to help you understand it. You'll notice that I am not teaching about the length of your hair and your dress and all of that. I'm giving you principles that if you understand it, all this other stuff comes naturally. <clears throat> There's two words that I want you to know, and that is separation and dedication. Everybody say separation. Everybody say dedication. All right, everybody say separation. Holiness is separation from and dedication to. It's separation from and dedication to. Example. The Bible said to honor the Sabbath day and to do what? Keep it holy. Okay, watch this. Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. How can one day be more holy than the other? A day is a day. It's a 24-hour period. In our culture today, there's a lot of people that don't know any more difference between Sunday and Monday. 
or Sunday and Friday. It doesn't make any difference. Their lifestyle doesn't change. They just roll right through Sunday like it's another day. People work Sunday in our culture today like it's nothing. Okay, is everybody on board with that? So what makes Sunday holier than the other days of the week? Here's how. The Bible teaches, God taught, six days you do your work, but the seventh day is to be different. It is to be separated and dedicated. It's to be separated from the other six days of the week and dedicated to the worship and service of God. Does that make sense? All right, illustration number two. When Belshazzar in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel's used the holy vessels in the temple. And you remember the hand started writing on the wall. We have that slogan, it's the handwriting on the wall. Okay, that happened to Belshazzar when he started using the vessels in, in Solomon's temple. He started using them for his party to have a good time. The Bible said a hand, just a hand, appeared and started writing on the wall. The judgment of God came to him because those vessels that he was abusing and disrespecting had been separated from all the other dishes, all the other glasses, all the wine glasses had been separated from all the rest and dedicated to God. Separated from and dedicated to. Okay? Listen. None of us here tonight are perfect. I'm close, but... <clears throat> We, we're, none of us here tonight are perfect. We may not be perfect, but we can be holy as long as we separate ourselves from sin and stay dedicated to God. That's what God counts as holy. Not hair and dresses and makeup and jewelry and all that stuff. I keep throwing that out there because there, there's something I'm chipping away at here tonight. So with this principle that the Bible teaches about being separate and dedicated, that means everyone has the potential to be holy. Everyone does. It doesn't matter what your past has been. It doesn't matter your parents. It doesn't matter what goes on in your life. If you're willing to separate yourself from sin and dedicate yourself to God, you have the potential to be a Christian. You have the potential to be holy, you have the potential to be like Jesus. So let's talk about these two phrases that I've used, separated from and dedicated to. First of all, let's talk about separation from. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, the Bible said, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing or quit sinning. Stop sinning and I'll receive you. And will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. The Bible teaches that we are to be separate 
in our thoughts, in our perspective, in our dreams, in our visions, and all of that, in our lifestyle, we're to be separate from the world. We're to be different. There's a principle for separation. The people of God must be different from the people of the world. I said that a couple of Wednesday nights ago. If, if serving God don't change you to be better and helps you to stop sinning and all that, then what's the point? Jesus wasted his time going to the cross. Most churches don't believe this. Most churches believe that a change is not required. As long as you make a profession of faith, you can still drink and smoke and curse and cheat and lie and fornicate and commit adultery and whatever else you want to put in that list. As a matter of fact, there's a strong religious group that believes that once you're saved, you're always saved and that there's no sin that can separate you from God anymore. But I say, according to the Bible, when God comes into your life, you will make a change for the better. God changes things in your life for the better. So the principle of separation is that there are some places a Christ-like person shouldn't go. There are things that a Christ-like person should not do. There are things that a Christ-like person should not say and There are things that a Christ-like person shouldn't wear. There are unclean or sinful things in the world. And if you want to be close to God, then you need to separate yourself from those things. Y'all ready for this? This is so simple, it's pitiful. One of the greatest examples of separation from and dedication to is marriage. It's one of the greatest examples for what we live as holiness people. This is one of the greatest illustrations I can give right here. You make a vow to your spouse. You promise your spouse that you're going to separate yourself from and dedicate yourself to only him or her for the rest of your life. Let me ask you tonight, you've been married for a while and so I... The man's at work, the wife's at home, and the man calls his wife and says, Honey, I think I'm going to go visit my old girlfriend for a while. I might be home in about three or four days. Isn't it bizarre how we think that is just really weird and how that won't work and that's got the D word written all over it and, I mean, you're going to be living with your girlfriend with half of your stuff. That's what that means. And um, whatever it may be. And it's funny how in, in, in our culture today, those that really believe in marriage do not think it's weird or strange that you're going to fall in love with one single person and you're going to commit to them for the rest of your life. It's not radical and it's not legalism. It's being in love. Hello? I mean, they say beauty's in the eye of the beholder. I... I love Billy and Michelle, but when you know I look at him, I'm like, <laughs> I mean, she fell in love with that dude, and you know, it, you know, whatever. Oh, I didn't see him back there. He's I better hush. He's back there in the back. But when they when they met, something happened. Y'all understand that? This is ridiculous. Simple. Every married couple here tonight. My in laws are sitting here tonight and have been married what over sixty years, I guess, sixty five years. I didn't say that. 
Brother Phil said that. <laughs> They've been married all these years. No cheating going on. No infidelity. No adultery. They both said that I love him. And he said, I love her. And we're going to get married. And we promise each other. You think about that. 67 years. 65 years. You think about that. They've been married longer than I've been born. And you think about that commitment. And nobody thinks it's weird. Brother James and Sister Sarah are are about to celebrate or have celebrated 50 years. Nobody thinks that's weird that these people have lived together. They have three wonderful children. And nobody thinks that's weird and that they're radical and that they're off the chart because they've committed. They've separated themselves from everyone else. And they've committed themselves totally and strictly to each other. Period. For 50 years they've lived like that. Brad and Fallon have done the same thing. And I mean the, the list goes on. There's, there's people here tonight. Sister Murphy and I will be married 42 years in, in November. Why is that not weird? But when people fall in love with Jesus. And they get a little bit radical about their love for him. And they say you know what I'm going to separate myself from sinning. And I'm going to separate myself from cheating and lying. And going to bad places and saying bad words. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Listen to me, Grace Church. I'm going to do that not because that's what the pastor teaches. I'm not going to do that because we're holiness people. That's not why. I live like I live because I love Jesus, period. That's it. I don't have to explain anything to anybody else. If Sister Murphy wants to grow her hair down to the floor, and if she does it because she loves Jesus, who's going to balk about that? That's her business, and that's between her and God. Why can't we say that? When people ask you outside of our church environment, why do you live like that? Why don't you say, because I love Jesus? Instead of going through all of this gobbledygook, well, that's what the pastor teaches, and if I want to be in the praise team, i got to do this, and if I want to teach a Sunday school class, that's not why. And if you're doing these, if you're living your lifestyle so you can be up here teaching class, you've got it wrong. And that's why it frustrates you. You live like you live because you love Jesus, period. And nothing's too radical about that. You say, well, the people that don't live like this, do they not love Jesus? I'm not going to judge that. Who died and made me the judge? Well, I know I'm not the judge, so let me ask that question a different way. Who died and made you judge? So do you understand, when you get married, you separate your... If you're Brad, when you fell in love with Fallon... (laughs) You gave up all them little young hot chicks, buddy. Darren's back there giggling. He did the same thing. Brother Mike fell in love with Sherry, crazy Sherry. The first time she came to this church, I said, hey, I'm Pastor Murphy. She said, I'm crazy Sherry. That's what she said. Did you not? You said it. But when you say those words, when you say those, I fell in love with this person, who's going to point their finger and say, ah, ha, ha, you're an idiot, man. Look what you're missing out on. Nobody does that. Because that's your love life, man. That's the love of your life. 
Well, that's the way I feel about Jesus. And it takes all the burden out of it. So the next time you're questioned, or the next time you're tempted, and say, you know what, I'm tired of living like this, ask yourself, do I really love Jesus or not? I want to make another statement here, and, and some of you are going to disagree, and I'm going to, you're going to get crossways with theology here. But I have Bible, and I'm going to show you in a minute. I'm not really sure this is all a real heaven and hell issue either. The Bible teaches things that we should obey, but Jesus wants you to do it because you love him, not because you're forced to do it. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, I do believe we make a heaven and hell issues out of this, and I believe we should. I believe we should. But I'm not doing this to stay out of hell either. I do it because I love Jesus. And when you get that in your head, don't say, well, i got to do this because I want to go to heaven. That's the wrong reason, man. You do this because you love the Lord. So you move away from sin in the former life, and you keep loving God more and more and developing your life in him more and more. And the more you know him, the byproduct of that knowledge and the byproduct of that revelation is to love him. So holiness does involve separation, but it's not because it's legalism and you're going, you're going to burn in hell if you don't. That's not the point. That's not what the Bible teaches. You do it because you love the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 7 and 1, Paul said, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness. The more you quit sinning, the more you quit being worldly and the more of God you bring into your life, the more holy you become as a byproduct of it. Okay. We're going to keep rolling here. Y'all with me? I have three that's with me. Okay, good. We'll keep working on the rest. All right. In spite of what some people have, taught, have been taught through the years, holiness is inside and it is outside. It's both. Everybody say it's both. There are, the Bible teaches there are sins of the flesh and there are sins of the spirit. The sins of the flesh are adultery and fornication and drunkenness and murder and those kind of things. The sins of the flesh are hate, lust, envy, jealousy. There's two, two different categories there. Holiness addresses both of these things on the inside and the outside. All right. When you come to church and you're filled up with the Spirit of God and God cleanses the inside, that after a while, the outside lifestyle and habits will also change. If it doesn't, then the outward lifestyle will eventually corrupt what's on the inside. I've seen this all of my life. How many times do y'all hear a pastor teach on holiness standards at this church from the pulpit? Somebody quizzed me. A new family started coming recently, and they said, we want to know if you teach holiness standards. I really don't have to. I don't teach holiness standards that much. I'm not teaching holiness standards now. I'm teaching principles of holiness. All right? I believe if you create an environment that's godly, that's righteous, that's pure, people will default 
to holiness on their own. We've had people change all kind of stuff. We've had folks, first time they came, you're like, ooh. You, know, you don't do it in front of them, of course. You say, hey, how are you? And you walk away, ooh. <clears throat> I'm going to tell you a quick story, and I don't have a lot of time, but I'm gonna, I want to finish this tonight, so we might be here a few extra minutes. A lady came to our church when we was in Baker, and uh, we counted one time. She did. After it was all over with, she had like 12 piercings in one ear and 12 in the other ear, and she wore two or three rings on each finger and two or three necklaces and makeup. I mean, she looked like a glorified cemetery plot to me with the makeup and all that kind of stuff. And um, one Sunday, she popped into church, and it was all gone, nothing. Didn't hardly even recognize her. So I went to some family that was coming to the church at that time, and I said, what did you say? Did you say anything to her? And they said, well, I promise you I didn't say a word. I said, I'm going to have you in that office, and we're going to have a long talk if I find out that you got in her face about that stuff. They promised promise didn't do it. She said she got up one morning and went to put a ring on, and her fingers was all broke out in a rash. And there's a little voice that spoke to her and said, if you'll get rid of all that, that rash will go away. So she did, and the rash was gone in less than 24 hours. She came to church on a Wednesday night. She was driving a long ways. She came to church on a Wednesday night in a skirt, was driving home, and stopped at Walmart and just took off her skirt in her truck and was slipping on her pants. And the Holy Ghost spoke to her and said, what are you doing? I didn't say nothing. And her family didn't say nothing. The Holy Ghost said it. I'm sorry, did my microphone just go out or something? I... There's some of you folks here tonight that know who I'm talking about and don't blurt out a name. But that's what God does when the environment's right. So you don't have to get up and pound it and what have you. So when people come into the church, it may take them a little while. I'm going to get to this in a moment. It may take them a little while to get on board, but if you'll leave them alone and give them time. Don't talk to people about holiness standards. Don't go to somebody and tell somebody, well, if you'll get rid of this, and if you don't do that. You're going to run them off. You're no better than Herod when Jesus was born killing babies. Keep your dumb mouth shut. You leave that between them and God. If anything needs to be said, I'll say it. I'm a big boy. I can do that. I've been doing this for a long time. But anyway, holiness is inside and outside. So when you come to the church, when you come into a relationship with God, God cleanses the inside that after a while the outside lifestyle and habits and all that will also change. Religious groups today don't emphasize outward holiness, but years ago they did. This is a historical fact. John Calvin, who was Presbyterian, he forbade all kinds of jewelry in Geneva, Switzerland. All the jewelers in Geneva went out of business, and they all had to start making watches because he had allowed people to wear a watch. This was a Presbyterian minister. Geneva, Geneva Switzerland to this day is famous for making watches. It just goes to show how strict John Calvin was, who was Presbyterian in that time, how strict he was when it came to outward holiness. So many religious groups don't teach outward holiness anymore, but Pentecostals is one of the few that do. And we still teach the cleansing of the flesh and the cleansing of the spirit. Let me describe the, the, the cleansing of the inside and outside. Let me say it this way. <clears throat> All husbands dread these words. When their wife goes to her closet and says, I don't have anything to wear. And she's got more dresses and skirts in there and she knows what to do with. What she's really saying 
as I don't have anything to go along with my mood or my attitude or my temperament right now. That's what she's saying. I don't have anything that fits my mood or temperament. In a way, when the Holy Ghost comes on the inside of somebody, there's things that they put on that it don't fit the way they're feeling on the inside anymore. So they want to change into something else. That's what happened to the lady I just referred to. The Holy Ghost did that. Not some well-meaning, well-meaning saint that walks over. Now, sister, if you want to be in the praise team, and brother, if you want to be on the usher staff, you're going to get rid of all that junk you're doing. They just walk right out the door, and we never see them again when you do that. Please keep your dumb mouth shut. Somehow, the lady is looking for something that represents what she's feeling on the inside. So somehow, clothing represents on the outside what she's feeling on the inside. So holiness does affect the outside because of what's on the inside. How do you know who the bride is at a wedding? Number one, she's the most happy person there. She's the most joyful person there. And the second reason you can know her is by what she's wearing. Her outfit fits what she's doing and how she's feeling. And how many of you women have driven your parents or whoever else insane trying to find your wedding dress the day you got married and you wore it one time and now you can't even fit in it? I'm sorry, did I say something that was true? (laughs) So we can't overlook inward holiness. We can't just say because we are dressed right, we're saved. You don't just say because I don't drink, smoke, curse, dip, chew, and all that, that I must be okay. Inward holiness, I believe, is more important than outward holiness. If the inside is right, then the outside will get right. But just because the outside might be right doesn't mean the inside is right. Dress alone does not make you a Christian person. We still have to pray and fast and study our Bible and witness to people and what have you. And if you hate people or if you're full of prejudice, I don't care what you dress like. If you're toting grudges, I don't care what you dress like. It doesn't matter. You're still not right with God. Let me use this illustration. We have this awesome ministry team and and uh they're spattered all over the building all over the campus tonight in different places but what if uh jason came in high on marijuana sunday morning what if he came in drunk just stayed up all night with jack daniel had a four on the floor and a fifth under the seat and he came in drunk hiccup and staggering and all that kind of stuff buddy we would bow up and say, I can't believe that. Pastor needs to do something with that. He needs to be set down. He can't preach again. He can't sing in the praise team. Y'all feel me? But what if he comes in hating somebody? Or what if he comes in with a bad attitude? Let me ask you a question tonight. In the sight of God, what is the difference? You see how we do? We judge people by the way they look on the outside. God looks at the heart. And God says, if I can get the heart right, I can get everything else right. And that's what he does. And sometimes we need to give God some time to do that. So let's talk for a moment about pursuing holiness and this separation from and dedication to concept. The Bible said that we're to follow peace with all men and holiness. You follow it. You pursue it. 
you go after it and you perfect it. You make it more and more complete every day, more and more. Notice this. When my two kids was born, I don't know about yours, but when my two were born, buddy, they were beautiful and they were perfect. They were perfect babies. They couldn't talk. They couldn't walk. They couldn't feed themselves. They couldn't even potty by themselves. But they were perfect babies. Do y'all get that? They were perfect, beautiful babies. We've had numerous couples that have enjoyed bringing a new child into their home. And when you bring them home, they're all beautiful and they're all perfect. But what if they were still in that condition? What if they were still acting like that 10 years later? They couldn't walk. They couldn't talk. They couldn't potty by themselves. You've got a problem. We have to expect and anticipate growth and maturity. So does God. Could we understand as Pentecostals, and this is what aggravates me and agitates me, especially when area churches judge each other. Well, you have a lady in your church that does womp, 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 and you have a man in your church that womp, 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 womp. And I still hear that all the time. No church is perfect, and everybody's at a different level of maturity and development. You can have kids in the second grade in school, and they're not all straight A's. They may have a few in there that gets a D or an F. But they're all in the same grade. Does that mean they're all the same? No, it does not. And the same is true in our relationship with God. Everybody's at a different level. That's why you stop looking across the aisle and judging other people. Well, they ought to know better than that. Maybe they don't. Maybe they do know better and they just don't feel like doing better. But that still don't give you a right to judge. We all expect and anticipate growth and maturity, and so does God. I've, I heard a new convert one time receive the Holy Ghost and cursed and said, mm, boy, that feels good, and used a curse word. <laughs> heard with my own ears. Used the D word. Mm, boy, that feels good. <laughs> heard with my own ears. He did that because in the sight of God, he was an infant. He was a brand new baby. But if he's still cursing 10 years after the fact, then there's a problem somewhere. Do y'all understand that? Why don't we understand these things? We, you say you do, and I'm getting all this, and ha, 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 and somebody up here is going to mess up, and we're going to revert back to our old way of thinking. Well, Brother Murphy needs to get a hold of them and set them down. Da, 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 da. No one's perfect. Do you understand that? Everybody's going to mess up. We need to be patient and we need to be merciful and we need to be compassionate with people and tend to our own relationship with God and leave everyone else alone. So how does God judge that? I I just want to say, and I'm trying to hurry and I don't have much further to go. I know that I'm not the judge and I don't think you are. God is the only judge. There's people, if I was judged, there was people I'd have zapped a long time ago and there's other people that were judged, they'd probably zap me a long time ago. I know there's some people here tonight, if I was judged, buddy, I'd and he'd be out of here. But what we have to understand in our own life and in the lives of others is that sometimes it takes some people a lot longer to understand the ways and things of God than it does others. And a person's spirituality is between them and God. Their spirituality is between them and the Word of God, and their spirituality is between them and the pastor. Never another fellow church goer. Here's what our attitude should be.
always. This is what I want you to do. Don't revert back to your old way of thinking. This is the way I want you to think. I'm asking you to start thinking this way. Here's your attitude when it comes to holiness. I do what I know is pleasing to God to the best of my ability, and I'll refuse to judge anyone else. You do what you know to do. You do what you're taught to do to the best of your ability. You live the word of God to the best of your ability. That's all you can do. And when people come to the church, we must consider where people have come from. They may be on track with their growth and maturity. When we're sitting here with something that's been in our heart and has been there for years. I grew up in that environment. I've seen new converts come into the house of God, and I heard that young man curse that night. He was in his late teens, early 20s when he cursed and talked about how great this felt. And everybody just giggled and laughed. Well, he'll grow up. And the people that were laughing and giggling had more envy and hate and jealousy in their heart. I used to hear women when I was a kid just fuss and cuss over who's going to be the next lady's auxiliary leader and just really resented when it wasn't sister so-and-so. And they wouldn't speak to sister so-and-so because she was elected and their lady didn't get it. And I've heard it. I've heard it. All of my childhood, I've heard this baloney, and I've heard the gossip and the ridicule and the criticism and people criticizing what people wore and how they fixed their hair and all that. I grew up in that environment, and I despise it. We are not the judge. And you leave people to work out their own soul salvation. So you can have a new convert come into the church. They're not living all the holiness standards and whatever, But in the sight of God, they can be more holy than I am. Because they have a whole lot. They're a perfect baby. But as a mature child of God, I'm still having issues. And they're more holy than I am. Because they're a perfect baby. I hope I'm rattling some cages here tonight. And this is going to be going around in your brain for a while. And listen to it again. Uh, listen to it two or three more times uh, before you determine what you think about this. I don't really like to tell other people how to live. I'd rather teach people how to rely on the Holy Ghost. I'd rather teach people how to rely on the Word of God. I'd rather teach people how to how to live and, and to be able to estimate through the power of example, of Christian example. I don't want to be the Moses that sets a line around the base of the mountain. And if I can just get people right there, then you're saved. I'm not going to be that kind of pastor. I want you to keep going. That's the I might know him Bible study I taught. Keep going in your relationship with God. Keep going. Living holiness standards isn't all there is to a relationship with God. <clears throat> so we cannot stop new converts. We, we should not stop new converts from progressing. And we must not allow ourselves to go backwards. I think one of the worst things that can happen to a non-new convert is when they've been Pentecostalized. I've seen new converts dance and shout and run the aisles. You can just say, praise the Lord. And they're hitting the aisle going 100 miles an hour. But it don't take long for their little church environment to Pentecostalize them. And in 10 years, you could say, praise the Lord, your teeth fell out and they'd sit there and stare at you. I'm sorry, I, I'm way too brash, I'm way too harsh, but these things, they, they, 
stay bottled up in me all the time. I want us to understand that our goal and ambition is to please God in every aspect of our life, including prayer, worship, Bible study, the way we live. It's more than just a dress code or a holiness standard. And those who look for shortcuts, if you look for a shortcut, the damage usually will show up in your kids. And I will be honest with you tonight. I like to teach here at this level, if you'll notice my hand, and hoping to get people at this level. Most pastors do that. But if you live at this level, your kids are going to live here if you're not careful. You have to put everything you have into it and keep a good attitude. And where you may know enough to salvage your relationship with God, at a later time, the damage is done to your children, and that damage is very seldom repaired. So let me spend just a few minutes, I have three minutes, and talk about dedication. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's not just separation from, but dedication to. Dedication means purpose, reason, cause. It's what are you doing? When Paul said to present your body, it means to give yourself, dedicate, and consecrate. When he said, I beseech you, this is what I said earlier, and this is what I want you to hear. He said, I beseech you. He didn't say, I command you. I beseech you. It's not thou shalt or thou shalt not, but it's I implore you. I urge you. I want you to see it. Why? Because God loves it when people obey his commandments because they love him. That's what God is after. And he said to do it by the mercies of God. Don't you see what God has already done, how he saved you, how he forgave you, how he put your life back together again, how he delivered you from worldly and sinful habits? Don't you value the treasure, this awesome new life that God has given you? That's why you serve him. Because of what he's done for you and has caused you to fall in love with him. Since I cherish, love, and respect what God has done for me, then I'm willing to be everything he wants me to be. Listen to pastor here tonight. Grace is not freedom to sin. Grace is freeing you from sin. You dedicate yourself to God. Dedicating yourself to God is not freedom from the principle of the law. Just because you dedicate yourself to God doesn't mean there's not a law. Listen. You can say, you know what, I am sick and tired of gravity. I hate the way gravity just holds me to the ground. I want to float. So I'm going to get up on the building and I'm going to show gravity. And you jump off the building. Gravity will kill you. Do you understand that? And they say it's not the fall, it's just a sudden stop at the bottom that gets you. Gravity can kill you because it's a law and because you may not, dis, you may not agree with it. It keeps, you, it, it keeps you attached to this planet so you don't float off somewhere in an oblivion. And the same is true with the grace of God. It's a law that keeps you attached to him, not a freedom to do whatever you want to do when you want to do it. So when Paul said a living sacrifice, it means one's willing to live, not die, but live for Christ. Ask yourself, what about Calvary? Does Calvary do anything to you? He said, which is your reasonable service, which means we are the ones who are going to be, who's going to get the best part of this. You're the one that's going to have the better outcome when all this is over with. Then he said to be not conformed to this world. One translation says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. You don't conform to the world. You don't let the world press you into what it wants you to be. 
You give your life to God and let God develop you into what he wants you to be. He said, be ye transformed. And it takes a continual renewing in the Holy Ghost, staying close to God, in tune, and so on. So in conclusion, John said in his epistle, to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. The world passes away. The world passes away in the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abides forever. It's not talking about people, but a system. It's an ideology. It's a concept. The world is not for spiritual things. It's not for purity, and it's not for cleanliness. We should all know that. In verse 16, he talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, which means worldliness. The lust of the flesh means desiring carnal, sinful things. It's, it's power. It's sexual immorality. Uh, it's when you desire that over the things of God. The lust of the eye means television and internet and pictures and reading and so on. Things that appeal to your eye. The pride of life means career, money, ego, self-will and so on. All sin, the Bible teaches, can be put in one of these three categories. The lifestyle that we teach is designed to help us avoid undue and unprovoked temptation in these areas. It becomes a buffer or an insulator. It's like copper electrical wire has that little rubber housing around it. It's an insulator. It keeps When you grab it, you don't get electrocuted. And that's what holiness does. It's, a, it's an insulator, not an isolator, but an insulator. And so this is why at Grace Church we teach and live. We teach modesty. We teach what is moderate. We teach what is appropriate. So John said that the world passes away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abides forever. So in conclusion tonight, here's the idea or concept. What are you doing right now that will be really important 100 years from now? What, will you, what are you doing right now that's going to be important and valuable 100 years from now? I promise you, I can just about guarantee there won't be a person in this building that the Lord tarries that will be on this planet alive in 100 years. So what are you doing right now that's more important than what's important 100 years from now? Will the house you live in or the car you drive or the job or how attractive you are matter 100 years from now? Or will your prayer life, Bible study, fasting, witnessing, soul winning, how you raised your kids and all that, will that matter 100 years from now? Which will matter the most? I'm thankful for the opportunity I've had through the years to really fall in love with Jesus. I'm convinced, I'm persuaded, obviously, that a hundred years from now, I'm going to be in a better place a hundred years from now. I hope and pray that I'm a hundred years from now. We were going home the other night with Noah and Joseph in the car, and Noah brought up that in forgot what he said 75 years or something he's going to be a certain age whatever he said and joseph said yeah in the same amount of time i'll be a certain age they did their math and sister merv checked them on her calculator and they were both right we were amazed and so they asked I mean, what, what what about papa and annie where will y'all be in 70 something years and annie said well we will both be in heaven and i heard joseph say in the back seat kind of under his breath or hell um <laughs> So I said, um, God help us. <laughs> Need some help here right now, quick. Uh, but uh, but then Annie very quickly corrected it and said, No, we're gonna we we'll, we will all be in heaven, 
And if y'all are still here, that when that happens, y'all will be in your 80s. When that happens, it, hopefully it won't be too much longer that y'all will be with us in heaven. That's the way I think. And I live my life based on that. I want to go to heaven because I'm in love with Jesus. That's all there is to it. People ask me, why do you do this? Because I love him. That's it. That's all I need to say. The Bible teaches things, and I can show you there's things the Bible teaches that are still relevant that has to do with hair and jewelry and makeup and all that kind of stuff. I can teach you that in the Bible. But I would rather teach you right now just to fall in love with Jesus and those things become non-important because you want to please him. Like spouses want to please their spouse and most of the time and uh, because you love one another. I hope you understand. I hope you understand. I'm not done with this. Lord willing, we'll pick it up next Wednesday night. Uh, I have one more lesson I'd like to do. But understand, it's a love affair with Jesus. And if you can get that in your head, it takes all the misery. It takes all the questions. It takes all the debate. And where can I go to find a church? It don't teach all that and still be saved. And all it takes all that away. You can go to church anywhere you want and still live your life because you love Jesus. It's not based on the church you attend. It's based on your love affair with Jesus. I think that's some pretty cool stuff. If you have any questions, don't go ask somebody else in the church. They're not going to know the answer. If you have any questions, come talk to me about it. They're going to give you their old way. And we don't want to do that. So God bless you. I'm going to dismiss you. I've gone over a little bit. But I'm going to dismiss you from the sitting down position if that's okay. Everybody say thank the Lord for the word. Thank the Lord. God bless you tonight. You're dismissed in the beautiful, lovely name of Jesus. And we'll see you back here Sunday morning.